Do you have to read it again? <laughs> I, I, I'm reading it right now. Maybe I'll just read it off the screen. I mean, this is an audio-only <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so in case you're not familiar with it, Richard Feynman, who was a famous physicist, but also, you know, speaker and whatnot, uh, was giving a commencement speech, and that was excerpted in his book, uh, Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman, uh, which talks about the South Sea cargo cults that followed World War II. And so he describes it thus, and this is a quote, During the war, they saw airplanes land with lots of good materials, and they want the same thing to happen now. So they've arranged to make things like runways, to put fires along the sides of the runways, to make a wooden hut for a man to sit in with two wooden pieces on his head like headphones and bars of bamboo sticking out like antennas. He's the controller. And they wait for the airplanes to land. They're doing everything right. The form is perfect. It looks exactly the way it looked before but it doesn't work. No airplanes land. And so this is called the cargo cult, and he was using it as a metaphor for something that was happening in science at the time for cargo cult science, where they had the form of doing science, but they weren't sort of following through, in his opinion, um, to lead to valid hypothesis testing and falsification and that sort of stuff. And I talked about this a little bit in terms of cargo cult adulting, where people get so hung up on the form of the thing that they forget the meaning behind it and why you're doing something like that. A big thing that this comes into, especially in sort of my sphere of ranting, is with the rent versus buy debate, where people say, oh, well, you're not really fully grown up, fully independent and on your own until you have purchased a house. That's sort of that symbol of becoming an adult. But really, buying the house is not what makes you an adult. It's a, it's a symptom of being an adult and just because you haven't bought a place doesn't mean you're not an adult and um we're going to talk more about cargo cult adulting in this special episode of because money special in the sense that it's three of us and not chris not that. they're all special i call all <laughs> special. i love it so special so special i mean i think we could come up with a lot of examples but that particular one about a house i think is very true and distorts a lot of people's lives in ways that i don't think we could until you're in it or you realize that you don't realize that it until you realize it you don't realize that um that the choices that we make that seem like they're right because they're kind of this cargo cult sense they can really distort everything every other choice that you make is distorted by this one choice that you've made because it's the thing you're supposed to do instead of the thing that means something to you so we could probably spend a whole episode just talking about houses buying houses as a form of cargo cult adulting <laughs> yeah I mean, there's all sorts of things that are out there that um, that we see this with. So, I mean, buying houses was a big one. Um, doing laundry was one I used as an example in the post where it was like, hey, I got a grown-up job. I got all these shirts that have to be ironed. And then I'm like, why am I ironing shirts? They have technology now that will make wrinkle-free fabrics and nobody at work can tell the difference. <laughs> yeah, that one made me laugh. And I also like the example of um, the idea that you need to be married before you have kids, mm. because that's definitely a cultural norm. I mean, that one and the buy a house thing, that was 
definitely modeled to me growing up. And I just kind of took that as fact, like that's just what you do. And I remember as a teen, when I was like looking at what I thought my twenties and thirties would look like, it was that progression. It was like, go get educated, make money in a career that looks good on paper, find a person, get married, buy a house, little people. That's just like, you know. Yeah. And not just like get married as in legally join your households together, but throw a wedding party and have a reception with dozens or hundreds of guests and that sort of thing. Um, and you know, sometimes that can even delay the whole works. If you're like, Oh, well we have to get a nice reception hall, but it takes a year and a half to book. So I guess we're not getting married for another year and a half. And sort of stretches on and on and this is a very special shout out to people who i know are not listening but please just get (laughs) married and have babies already because i want to be uncle john already (laughs) i actually distinctly recall being at a reception for close friends and the father of the groom made a speech that was essentially i am so proud of person A and person B because they waited, they did all, no, they did all the things right. They got good jobs, they finished their educations and they saved up their money so that they could pay for a house and now they're getting married. That was, and this is, I don't know, well, 20 years ago now, that was what, that was the key thing that he felt was important to say at this union of these two people was that. Fascinating, fascinating thing. It's the same. Actually, I think there's maybe adulting isn't necessarily part of it, but there's this also cultural expectation that kids move out at a certain point. You don't, the family doesn't live, you you don't live together after that. You don't have, you know, if they don't leave, that's a reflection on you and it's a reflection on them because somebody hasn't done something the right way. That's a, that distorts a lot of things too. Or could, I guess. What do we mean by distort, Sandy? (laughs) No, that's the thing I've thought about recently because I definitely feel like I grew up just thinking that you're supposed to move out at a certain age, like pretty much at a university age, which also shows up that I grew in a culture where it was expected that you would do some sort of post-secondary education and then you would leave your parents if you were at your parents before that and then you don't go back. And then if you did that implies a lot of shame because you did something wrong that you weren't able to support yourself. So for me, I've gone back home and lived with my parents twice briefly since university. Um, Just when I was dealing with like health issues, so I wasn't working as much. So it was a way for me to pay less in rent. And once I was living with an ex and when that broke up, like I was fortunate that my parents were like, you can come here while you figure it out. Um, But I didn't want to tell anyone that. And I certainly never told anyone in a professional setting because I thought that would make me look less, less professional. Yeah. To be someone in my mid twenties that shared a home address with my parents. So that's something that I didn't lie about it, but I would very actively leave out that information (laughs) unless someone very specifically asked and moving back out, I felt a lot of pride which I think was just kind of for certain reasons good but for certain reasons misplaced 
and it's only been in the last few months um, having some closer friendships with friends that do still live with their parents and it's a totally it's a cultural norm for them like that's just what's normal their siblings do um, one of them has grandparents that live with them and it's just it's what makes sense and they all kind of share the mortgage and they share different expenses and one of my friends that's living through at home like they've met a lot of other I don't know financial goals that look good on paper like they bought an investment property and they've done certain things so it's not like they're not moving forwards they're just doing it in a different order than what might be expected and that's had me really challenge just beliefs that I grew up with that were baseless fun the end <laughs> it goes back to a piece in Shannon Lee Simmons book the first worry-free money the first one where she was talking about the life checklist that people have and very frequently don't articulate even to themselves the fact that I have to buy a house to use that example um or else you know aunt joe won't think i'm successful or i'll i need to prove something to my parents if i don't reach that goal if i do these things out of order or if i whatever that is it's this sort of unarticulated ongoing cloud of expectation that you put on yourself or that your family puts on you that without spending time really considering the things that are must do's either because your family expects it and you're going to go along with it or must do's because no it's really important to you and jettisoning, jettisoning everything else, I don't, I think a lot of us are trapped in these defaults without thinking about it. Yeah, I really liked the concept of writing out what that life checklist is that says, yeah, and, and that's success. What's going to give you that um, emotional return on investment? And, you know, is this, is this actually important to you or is it just by default there and once you think about it hard you're like oh no it's not actually important to me it's the idea behind it but I can get to that idea in other ways so whether it's the idea of being a quote-unquote successful adult whatever success means to you do you have you been you John because you've made this ongoing active choice that to live where you live you you chose to rent for all sorts of different John reasons that, I mean, you have spreadsheets and calculators for. Uh, I have a spreadsheet for a brain. So that helps. <laughs> that's the operating system. <laughs> um, oh, what was my question now? Shoot. No. Have you like, how have you, hmm, have you had to defend that to people who are, who you're close to that you care about rather than just like internet strangers? Uh, no, mostly internet strangers. I mean, um, a lot of people sort of get it in my circle of friends or they just keep forgetting that I'm renting and they're like, oh, why don't you just blow this wall out when they're over and, you know, really open up the kitchen. I'm like, well, I'm not sure my landlord. Like, oh, that's right. You rent. <laughs> um, I know the wall you're talking about. <laughs> Me too. I'm like, oh, interesting. I would blow that one out too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it, uh, you know, it didn't really come up. There were a few, um, I wouldn't even say snide because that's like exaggerating it too much. Just a few little like questions like, oh, are you going to buy a place? Like now that you guys are pregnant and expecting when that was happening, it was like, no, we're just looking for another place to rent that's bigger. And that's what we did. Yeah. 
I'm trying to think. I'm kind of racking my brain, limited as it and is. And even with your parents, did they have like any strong feels on that? Uh, no, that I mean, I, I come by my real estate bearishness, honestly. Um, at the time, uh, my dad has been quoted as saying that uh, in another decade or two, he would be buying downtown condos for pennies on the dollar. But <laughs> um, Love it. Yeah. Very honestly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, he very much sees um, opportunity cost. And so he can look at the house prices in our neighborhood and say, okay, well, you have to not live in this neighborhood. Or if you had a million dollars, whatever it is, like you can invest that and, you know, pay your rent two times over. So that's a, that's I mean, super support. it wasn't a hard choice. So <laughs> no. yeah, my brother rents too. Kate, have you felt, I mean, we talked a little about a little bit when it was you and I, in an episode um, about the, the idea of waitressing, for example, like a job that's off of your, it's outside of what you went to school for being something mm-hmm. that you feel that you have to defend in some way. I'm trying to think of other examples and I don't have any. And I think it's because my parents were like radical hippies. So it doesn't, there's not a lot of things that were expected from my side of the family so I've not had to I've not really had to explain myself or maybe just having to explain myself but then again I did all the things in a row I went to school and then I got married very young and then we bought a house and then we had babies and then so possibly I haven't received any pushback because although I feel very radical in fact I'm extremely conventional (laughs) what's the pushback on yeah, actually, school was the was perhaps the one area where there was some pushback. You know, people knew that like I was going for a PhD and stuff. It's like you're 30 and still in school. <laughs> like, when are you gonna start your life? And it's like this is my life. <laughs> it, it, it may not have been the best life choice, but it is the one I have chosen. This is my life. I am, I am an adult anyway. And I appreciate that you can't start your life until you're done school. I really appreciate that. It's a norm. Yeah. 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 Um, the expectations for me is kind of interesting. My parents are divorced and they're kind of quite different and I have a blended family. So there's sort of lots of different arms and lots of different things that come into play. But overall, I definitely grew up with the, it was an expectation that I would go to university. Um, my my brothers did not. So it was, I was kind of like, I'm the youngest by 11 years. So kind of any residual hopes and dreams, it felt like they were placed on me. And those seemed to go in line with kind of cultural norms. And for one of my parents, the fact that I don't have a master's or doctorate degree is sort of not okay. Um, just as a, as a choice that I decided to stop school at a certain point and be fine with that and so for that parent if I were to say hey I'm waitressing I can tell you that that would not be okay and that's also a parent that's has quite just like just being able beliefs. to huffle puff and like show on the door yeah um quite strong Three. beliefs on kind of home ownership and marriage and what that partner should look like and what that wedding should look like and I've had to spend some time and serious dollars in therapy um <laughs> detangling myself from that to be okay with not fitting in those boxes which I'm happy to say that I am now um and it's been nice being in a blended family like seeing 
um, just the different ways that my step sibling, step siblings, and my half siblings have done their lives, and having siblings that have eloped and like didn't do a traditional marriage thing, and siblings that rent and siblings that own, and one sibling that owns and has a rental thing and siblings that went to school and didn't and ones that have grad degrees and ones that didn't finish high school and that's I don't know that makes wherever I am feel a lot more normal because there's just lots of different examples of that yeah um so I now feel less less pressure but growing up I felt a lot of a lot of pressure that took me a while to detach from I find it so interesting that adulthood is, we all, we talk about it as though there's a generally accepted, you know, like achievement level that you've unlocked and then you get to put the, the adult badge on your avatar or something. But I, but I mean, I guess we could speak about kind of culturally, you do, we just talked about like these, you know, you follow these steps and then technically you're an adult in some way. I don't, I don't know that that, serves anything other than kind of understanding what people expect of you but I wouldn't like what would what would a really kind of universal definition of being an adult be sexually mature <laughs> able to reproduce if you want to and your body works that way I don't know what adulthood is supposed to be or what what function that fills in this concept of adulting as a thing that we all should aspire to do and that's where now we're responsible and like contributing to society in some way yeah and, and that's a a big thing to sort of branch off from there you know especially when you're university college age kid and then here i'm saying kid which is also unfair to the young adults that college university um and, and you're thinking okay yeah i'm, I'm going to graduate and then make all these various milestones, um, but they don't all come once um, as much as you might have, you know, sort of bank-driven take on some credit to get them all at once. Uh, your face. But uh, yeah, they don't, they don't typically come all at once. And um, what you'll find is that there's always another milestone sort of ahead because it's like, oh, you got, uh, you know, your degree. Oh, you got a permanent job instead of some you know, part-time gig, and then, oh, you got, uh, you know, married or whatever, you got a house or whatever, and then, you know, as you're saying, if you're sort of heterosexually married, and uh, then the pressure comes on to breed, and then, of course, at the beginning of the episode, I was making that <laughs> half-joking reference to my brother, and, like, you know, that's unfair to them, and I wouldn't do it in person, but... Um, <laughs> You can authorize representatives. I'll do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, you know, that, that sort of happens. And then it's like, okay, then you have a kid. And then it doesn't stop. It's still like, so when are you guys having another? Oh, that's really interesting because my parents stopped that after two. And then we had a third and they were like, are you sure you want to? <laughs> and then when, you'd, when I'd call and be like, oh, it's been a really hard day. One of the responses inevitably was, well, you chose to have three. <laughs> so I guess there is some point at which being an adult means not having more children. Yeah. You've taken it too far, Sandy. I think there's a lot. Too much. <laughs> Lucy, was you were done to do that? You, you achieve replacement rate, that's when you should stop. Yeah. 
you got the badge the parenting badge <laughs> you're good and i wonder if i mean not that we really care for universal definitions of anything but like when you are an like a oh this is so ableist too when you're responsible for yourself well, some people are always going to be dependent in some way on someone else. And that's not a bad thing. The idea of defining adulthood as being independent deifies independence in a way that's very culturally specific. Ooh, I, hard work, bootstraps. Uh, uh. So that can't really be a definition of adulthood either. I don't, I don't think, I don't like this. <laughs> I'm out. Peter Pan. Here I am. I was thinking of that when we started the episode, like what would my definition of being an adult be? And one of the first things that come to mind is independence, but that's wrapped in so many things. And it's like, is that financial independence? But no, I don't think so. And I think the closest I get to it in my brain is this idea that you make your own decisions, mm. assuming that you're able to make your own decisions. Like you have the capacity to be responsible for yourself in that way i feel like is <laughs> the least specific and tangible but most accurate <laughs> definition <laughs> welcome to my world that i can yes. come up with for adulthood is that you're you're really responsible for the decisions that you make and you're not doing it to make your parents happy or someone else happy and you're sort of answerable to yourself yeah which under my vague and intangible definition means that I know a lot of older people that are, would not be technically adults <laughs> and a lot of really young people that technically would be. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I saw just as I was passing through in a whirlwind day, Seth is watching. It's a football show of some kind. I don't know. There's a lot of people I don't like on it. In particular, this one man who's like, he left his family when his son was four and he's talking about now he's his coach in football. I don't know how it works. Anyway, in my household, he says, because he was talking about the son wanted to go to, he wanted to play baseball as a sport and he's, his dad wanted him to play football. In my household, 16 year olds don't make their own decisions, says this father who I dislike intensely. And like, so, so there we go. So we know for sure, viscerally, that is the opposite of adulthood is <laughs> not being allowed to make your own decisions. Mm, I, that's more about the dad than it is anything to do with adulthood. It was really just me wanting to tell you that story and how much I dislike that person. So cool. Cool, cool, cool. So glad that came into the conversation. Yeah, you're welcome, everyone, for that. Yeah, you're welcome for the segue. Well, so, but really, so we, I mean, our kids are now, what, seven, nine, and 11 this calendar year at some point, whenever that may happen. <laughs> Give or take. Give or take. We're rounding up now. Um, and so, of course, as parents, we are thinking about raising people who are independent in... in <sighs> independent, oh my word, that keeps coming up, but who are capable of making good choices with whatever happens to be in front of them, right? And so a part of that is giving them things to make choices and mistakes with and not being the kind of people who say, well, in my household, we decide what you wear and what school you go to and what sport you play and whatever. 
but like, I don't, I can't, I can't imagine feeling disappointed in them if they choose something that I, that is either too conventional for my tastes or too unconventional for my tastes. That's just, I just have a difficult time imagining kids who could grow up and not be adult enough for me. I don't know what that even looks like. <laughs> they could stay at home forever. Well, I don't know, some of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, it's, it goes back, it does, it goes back to the independent thing. Like, I don't want to be the snowplow parent that bribes some university to get them in forever or takes care of the sauce or whatever that whole article was uh, I'm just talking about things that nobody else has read but like I don't I don't want to yeah I missed the away. sauce one <laughs> yeah no it's dumb it was that part was all ableist too anyways um I don't want to I don't think we need to be looking for millennials to you know have no problems in front of them and but I, I don't I don't think that we as a society should be decrying people who are dependent on others um I'm sorry. I'm try. I, I just. I have a very difficult time with this whole concept of being an adult. Clearly, because yeah. I, well, I think part of it is that you can't go through life trying to live up to someone else's idea of what being an adult is. Like, again, I'm going to project my idea, and then you should take it up. But to to um, go through, you should be deciding for yourself what it means to be an adult what your goals are what you know you would feel accomplished as an adult doing and if that means you know accepting that there are certain limitations and whether it's financial or your health or whatever and you need to move back in with your parents to be able to do that without feeling shame externally to be able to go into a bar and order a Shirley Temple because inside you are a six-year-old girl and you want a Shirley Temple. And Shirley Temples are delicious. Yes, exactly. Precisely. <laughs> they are great. And you were not to feel like zero shame. I mean, that, that was a huge thing for me when I was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm just, I'm, I'm doing it. And then, um, I, I like, once I got over that, like notion that like 20 year old guys don't go into a bar and order Shirley Temples. I'm like, yeah, sure they do. They order whatever they want. And then they're happy with their delicious drink. And then it was like, you know, sort of not light bulb epiphany, but like a little itty bitty LED glow of, of, of epiphany. Like, oh yes, I have a tiny, tiny step toward adulthood and feeling more secure in my own skin and in the world around me and realizing that I get to decide what I want to drink. I say who, I say when, <laughs> I say who, who. <laughs> There is a pretty woman quote. I just rewatched that recently, and it was great. <laughs> Big mistake, huge. <laughs> oh. Well, so I mean, oh no, you said something really, really good about it. Was felt very meta, like you are an adult once you decide what being an adult is, and that's it. Like once you're capable of saying, "This is what I want <laughs> in life," now you're an adult. Good luck. Well, actually, I would say that Lucy is very adult. <laughs> <laughs> so that that could be who knows that could be it's i mean i guess i i want to keep coming back to that idea of distortion as i mean distortion again is sort of problematic because it assumes that there's like there's a norm and if you act like this it distorts it and then it's wrong but the idea that we're we've twisted uh, we've set we've constructed this idea of what's normal 
or as a progression for adults and culturally specific and all of those things. And when we don't spend any time looking at what's important to ourselves, what your own metrics for success are, um, in as much as you have the ability to actually choose what those are, um, then I, I, we make a, we're, we're susceptible to a lot of mistakes and we're susceptible to a lot of mistakes that other people are happy to create for us. Oh, I need to buy a house. Oh yes, let me help you with that. I will help you buy that house, not examine the decision-making process or the feelings of should that have made you decide you're going to buy a house. I'm just gonna help you buy that house, no problem. Sign me up. Um, I don't think that I can point to it as like the evils of all society come from. <laughs> That's not like living, living to some default idea of what we should be, but I want to. Can we though? <laughs> I really want to. <laughs> Can we draw those lines? Is there a spreadsheet that we could make? John. This point? <laughs> I oh, think really? that's a good point though, that like added, added up, it's kind of not just about you too, just the impact that has on culture as a whole, the more people that are adults in that definition and make their own best choices, just the ripple effect that can have. Because honestly, just in conversations I have with friends, here's a weird example that maybe doesn't apply. This year, I didn't go over to, like I live alone in Toronto right now, and I didn't go up to one of my parents for Christmas until Christmas Eve. Like I wasn't there Christmas morning. And I was talking to a friend about it and she was like, oh, I wish I could do that, but I can't. I was like, well, why? She's like, well, I, I have to be there. I'm like, well, why do you have to be there? <laughs> and just the fact that I explained my choice and how I came to that actually made a shift in her. Like, oh, this is just a thing I always thought I had to do, but I can maybe make my own best choice here. And I think we can't really underestimate the impact that has. So if you have more people talking about making different choices and how they make different choices, then big lines being drawn, you have less people that are suckered in when you have these mortgage brokers being like hey you know what you need a really expensive house the biggest and most yeah yeah so yeah. the solution to this evil is to talk more <laughs> suppress suppress <laughs> and examine assumptions like you know, don't just assume that um, the trappings of the thing are what you really internally want yourself because the trappings are easy to sell. But, you know, what's the actual thing that you're trying to get to? So, you know, if it's shelter, like, are you trying to get shelter for your family to live in or are you trying to own a house? Because those overlap, but they're not completely overlapping. And so you don't have to buy a house to provide adequate shelter for your family and you know if you want to get married to someone you don't have to spend x months of salary arbitrarily on a symbol of that commitment that you don't what wait a minute you don't it's crazy <laughs> this just in <laughs> you get to decide for yourself <laughs> it's funny uh, <clears throat> i mm, Sorry, I was going to tell you a long involved story about weddings, but I'm not going to do that. No, no, because I think that's, you've made a good enough example. It's true. You don't, those are things you don't need to do. Nope, done. <laughs> so as long as we have this 
sort of um, way of thinking about things, this um, thought model of cargo cult X. Did we want to talk about other examples of looking at the trappings of something rather than the actual substance of it? Like, for instance, cargo cult financial planning? I mean, we could talk about that for days and probably have. It's well, if any, it's anything. It's fill in the like. It's it's checkbox. It's it's like Cosmo quiz risk tolerances. Yeah. Right. Like any anything that is anything that is the thing itself instead of the underlying purpose is a waste of everybody's time. That's clearly very obvious. There's um, I have a lot of things to say. None of them are going to come out nicely. <laughs> we don't always have to be nice sometimes it's more entertaining to be mean we just have to check our meanness right because we don't want to be mean to specific people who can't really defend themselves but we can be mean to industries in general yes we can (laughs) yes we can well no here's the thing a really really simple quote-unquote financial plan which i mean we all like there's there is no such thing as a, a, a financial plan that everybody can agree by looking at it that that's what that is oh what's a financial plan people might have uh, an investment plan or a selection of mutual funds to buy or a really long document that may or may not be actually useful or like all of those things may or may not be a financial plan and that it might be really useless to one person and really useful to another because somebody might not need the full full thing but the idea of i do these things and that creates a plan is endemic to the industry (laughs) harms a lot of people (laughs) makes people believe that things ought to be free that kind of professional advice isn't worth paying for because I got one of those. I have a thing that you call a plan. I've got one of those. I didn't pay anything for it. Oh, I could, there's a lot. There's a lot about that, but I, I, but I'm not sure it's exactly the same thing. And the reason I'm not sure is because I'm so deeply in it. (laughs) I am so steeped in what is or isn't a financial plan and how people get compensated and professionalization of the industry that I don't even know what I'm saying anymore about it. That's the level that, I mean, I do, I guess maybe I know what I'm saying some days, but I I don't. uh... Well, I mean, the point I had in mind um, was about, let's say (laughs) planning for retirement. So you get to a point in your life, you get your debt paid off, uh, and you got some money coming in, and you're like, I should start saving for retirement because mm-hmm. one day I might not be able to work, and I should have a plan to support that. And then there are different ways of going about that. So you can, you know, really plan things out with a lot of discussion, a lot of thought, and a lot of, you know, running scenarios and and et cetera, et cetera. Or you can just go and say, okay, well, I need to save for the future, so um, I'll go down to my you know, local bank branch and have a 20 minute conversation with someone and they'll stick me in some mutual funds in there. I've done retirement planning and I mean, you got the mutual funds. It looks just like a good retirement plan. You got a piece of paper with like a line that slopes upward and to the right. And, and so like, it's got all the trappings of a financial plan. And then you come across someone um, to promote our hosts uh, like Sandy or Chris or Kate Mm -hmm does financial planning and 
you know, it's, it's a different exercise with a different purpose and a different way of going about it. And particular with a lot more depth and a lot more, um, discussion and, and customization for the person rather than checking boxes, as you say. Well, and the plan document as in the, in the kind of public conception of it, whether that's because kind of media figures have talked about it as if the plan itself is the product or because, you know, planners have acted that way. The plan document is only kind of the charting notes for why you're making the decisions that you're making. Like you can refer back to it and go, oh, that's why I said I was going to do that. Oh, that's why I didn't contribute to the RSP last year because of these reasons. But it is, it cannot be the actual only deliverable. Uh, if you're paying just for that document, you're probably getting shortchanged <laughs> because the plan process itself, it's not, it's like, Oh, it's the experience, but it really is. It's being forced to explain what you want and what you don't want to somebody who's not you, who can then tell you, no, you're fine. You, you said what you want. You, I, I've seen everything. You know, we've, we've put it all together. We've stress tested. We've done all the responsible things with financial planner actually does. You're doing all the right things. Go ahead, go forth and be happy. Um, that's, I mean, though, or there's a big problem, let's fix it, whatever. But that the resulting actions that you take, that's, that's the result. That's the deliverable is that you go ahead and you do the things, not that you received the document. Yeah. And, yes. But I mean, I, it's that whole process. I think that whole discussion of challenging your assumptions and talking through what you really want that helps you get away from the, you know, cargo cult financial planning, the cargo cult adulting, where you're like, oh, well, everyone wants a house, so I'll just go and buy a house because otherwise I'm not really an adult. And oh, everyone wants uh, enough money for a golf membership and flights to Florida because that's what the commercials say retired people want. And so then I'm going to you know, plan toward that. And everyone gets mutual funds and an RSP. And so that's what I'll do without thinking, oh, maybe the TFSA is better for me. And, and I mean, and that's, I, I'm, I'm making it worse because I just brought in the RSP versus TMSA oh, no! as an example. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. I think the point here <laughs> is that as it relates to this conversation is that instead of the checkmark box being like, oh, I'm saving, like I'm investing for my, for my retirement, whatever it is, I've opened a mutual fund, I'm done the end. Like that's not helpful because you haven't gone through any of the activity or the questions like, hey, do I actually, A, want to retire? Do I want to retire at 65? Like, why is that important to me? Oh, I'm saving money in some account over here. Great. What that, what's that money actually for? And why is that important to me? Like what Sandy was saying, this exercise of going through all of those questions and having to actually ask yourself why certain things are important and it's kind of dig into that like that's where the value is so then we don't get all these people who are retiring at 65 and then having these crises and not knowing how to handle their lives because they just weren't prepared because we like culture did not prepare them for that no. we told no. them to work and then stop yeah Good culture great plan works every time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> It's, I mean, so this comes back to that concept that we talked about earlier this season about reflective IQ. Or maybe it was last season. Who even knows anymore? 
Um, and notwithstanding kind of debunking the whole concept of IQ, but that idea that you can develop an ability greater than the one you already have of examining your own motivations and being an observer of yourself, essentially. And so in any of these, any, I mean, there I'm sure are people who really, really do. If they exert all their reflective IQ, they really examine their goals and talk about it. They want to go to school, get married, buy a house, have kids, work until they're 65, retire, play golf, fly to Florida two times a year. Like that sounds a-okay. The thing is, we've created that as sort of the average, like we were talking about in another episode, and now outliers aren't, it's just not, you're, you're an outlier, essentially. You're really radical if you don't want to act that way. And you then have to exert, like that, that life has such a gravitational cultural pull that you really have to exert more effort than you should to create whatever else you naturally want to have in your life. And that's really, that's super unfair. That <laughs> just because you don't happen to want that average, you have to work harder than people who do want the average or don't care if they have the average, but there you have it. Gravitational. Yeah, it's a default that can be harmful, I would say. Yeah, and in ways that, I mean, of course you can't, you can quantify the ways that it could be financially harmful if somebody is encouraged to buy more house than they want or spend money on an education. They, they don't actually, you know, I actually didn't want to be a lawyer, but I did because my parents wanted me to and I spent all that money and now I'm trapped into that life. Um, and all my friends are lawyers and now I have to spend like a lawyer and live in places that lawyers live in. And I mean, not to get too needlessly specific, but I think if you don't spend some time all through your life, but in particular, when you're young enough that you're, be, you're still being expected to make all those choices that are going to set you off for the rest of your career and at 18, you're supposed to know all that stuff. It's a very hackneyed point, but nevertheless true that why should people have to decide their whole lives when they're just 18? Uh, yeah, that's a whole other rant, but. A um, whole other one. A whole other <laughs> rant. Yeah. But we really do. Like you start, if you start walking without thinking, you put your feet on the path of the default just because you happen to not think about it, it gets increasingly hard to move off of that path. Because, like, yeah, you start you know, accruing things that constrain your choices over time. So don't walk on the default path. <laughs> and, I mean, sometimes there's default reasons assumed for why things are happening. And um, I wish I had done... Uh, had the quote to pull up, but basically there was a study a couple of years ago about the outcomes of people who do PhDs and basically, you know, doing a PhD is a bad economic choice. And then they're like, what should we do to, you know, sort of fix this? Do we need more PhDs? Do we need less? Do we need better job outcomes and job training? And, and then um, someone in university affairs, there was an article there that had like this great insightful point, which is that like, People who go into PhD student uh, to become PhD students aren't making like an economic pro con choice. They're not trying to optimize the workforce of the country. Like, should they be? They're just they're deciding their own futures and whether or not they like research enough to spend five or six or seven years doing it for almost no pay. 
Yeah. Well, we're all optimizing something and I feel like we oughtn't to be, but that is also another rant. So um, actually, so I have, we just made an argument for everybody to relentlessly optimize their life so that they don't fall into the trap of the default. Did we just do that by accident? Well, optimize means different things. So you don't have to optimize financially or for money. You can optimize for your own happiness. You can optimize for what feels good to you and what makes you feel secure and happy as a person. That is a very excellent point. So yes, we are asking people to relentlessly optimize, but not just financially. Yeah, and, and not just for society, and not just for society's expectations. So, like to come back to that, like rent versus buy point. If your vision of yourself as an adult is to become a parent, for example, to have kids, and the city that you live in has a very expensive housing market, and you're like, oh, before I buy have kids, I should buy a house for those kids, but I need extra time to save up. So then that's going to push it later into my life than I would ideally like. It's like you can rent and have kids, like. If the if the important thing in your life is having kids is more important than the buying the house, then just go ahead and have the kids in a rental. Like the kids will still be sheltered from the elements and wolves. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, depending on if there's wolves in the walls or not, you know, you just don't know with those wolves. Um, there is a there's a social cost to not following the default, and it might be bigger. It might just be limited to kind of your own social circle or your parents or. But there are people who have very little social capital and spending it on not living to the default might be more than, it might be a bigger sacrifice than they're willing to make or a place that they don't want to spend that social capital, I guess, is what I mean. So and that's fine. It, I think the like awareness is helpful, but if you look at, I think with anything in life, like if you look at the costs and benefits of something and you're like, hey, just the cost of not doing this are too high for me. I'm going to keep doing this thing and fine. Yeah. Yeah. But I think some of those benefits and, and some of those costs are not as high as people think. Um, you know, like, like, especially for some of the um, weird uh, sort of defaults that people sometimes push towards like, Oh, after you graduate, you should buy yourself a new car instead of a new to you car. And it's, you know, n nobody notices when you've got that new car for more than the first week that you have it. And even you don't notice for very long. And, but I, I did it myself. And I know lots of people who treated themselves to a new car after graduating as like, ah, you know, I'm getting a new car now and it's going to be new, new. Like, even if it meant stretching in one way or another. I did not hang out with the same kind of people out of university. <laughs> Actually, out of university, I didn't hang out with real people anyway, but that's very interesting. Oh, new cars right after you graduate. That's actually, yeah, no, that makes sense. Nope, thank you. You've actually lined something up for me that I did not really understand before. <laughs> there is, no, but let's be fair though. There are, like if you rely on your network of people, which, you know, think we all do in lots of ways like the loose ties and the strong ties to get that job or not that job or make this connection over here and you don't conform to what people expect for your level of adultness for example you drive a garbage van or you know you don't have any grown-up clothes or you know speaking non-specifically I 
I mean, I think people do need to not just, I think the message cannot be relentlessly optimize your own fulfillment and happiness and sucks to be everybody else. They better just line up and not make any noise about it. I think we do have to recognize that there, uh, like I said, there are those costs. And if you, if you choose to pursue whatever it is, the path that's most important to you, knowing what those costs are and willing to bear them, that's all well and good, but not everybody can live outside of the defaults by choice. Uh, That might not be a choice that's afforded to them, even though they may not be happy in the defaults. I think it's because I really want to avoid that kind of, and I don't think anybody was in this conversation, but I really want to avoid that smug like, oh, you work nine to five, ha <laughs> ha, in a cubicle. What a boring person who hasn't optimized their life. I don't know. That's not my smug voice. That's my cartoon voice. I'll wear the smug No, and that could be optimizing your life. Like you could be the, like you could want to, I don't know, schoolhouse, married kids, retire at 65, Florida. That's great. Like there's literally nothing wrong with that. The only thing that's wrong with that is if that was put on you and it's not something that you want at all and you could make, you're like in a place where you could make another choice and that's available to you and you didn't know or didn't make it or something. Like there's- Didn't care to find out. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the defaults. It's just examining them if you can, mm-hmm. I think, and like asking yourself those questions. And then and then another level, like if you're able, is to look at those costs and benefits. And sometimes the costs are too high. This the thing I learned a lot um going through cognitive behavioral therapy is to list out the costs and benefits. And when I was talking earlier about the parent that had pretty strict ideas of what I should be doing, there was a time in my life where I really wanted to go against one of those norms. Um, But the cost for me to go against it felt too high. So I literally wrote out a list and my therapist had me put like percentages behind it. And it was like 70% cost too high. So she was like, okay, don't do it. Like you don't want to be doing this, but like the costs of going against it are too high. And then guess what? A year later, the cost of going with it like then were lower, like then the benefits started to outweigh it because I had built up like social capital and these other things. So I was able to make a new choice. So it's just kind of the awareness that helps is where I think I was going with that. I think you went there very well. (laughs) It was a really good concrete example. Thank you. And scene. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Chris Entz, and I'm an advice-only financial planner at ragstoreasonable.com. And I'm Sandy Martin. I'm an advice-only financial planner at springplans.ca. I'm John Robertson. I'm the author of The Value of Simple, a practical guide to taking the complexity out of investing, and you can find my blog at Holy Potato. I'm Kate Smalley. I'm a financial marketer, and you can find me and all my links at katesmalley.com. If you liked what you heard, please go to iTunes and leave us a fantastic review. It helps us, helps more people find the podcast. And if you really like what you heard, check us out at Patreon, Patreon slash Because Money, and uh, donate a small amount per podcast. It helps us keep the show running. Have a great week.